Greetings, everyone, and before I begin ranting and raving incoherently, I thought I'd tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need to do it all in one place. And believe me, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone. And when you host through Anchor, you can distribute your podcast through listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and even more. It has everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, it's free. That's right, Anchor is free, and who does not like free? So if you're interested or you want to make your podcast today, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to another Ludicrous Car Review. And, more specifically, the Ludicrous Car of the Month. You know, it took me a minute to figure out which one I wanted to do for this one, but something inspired me on this fact. You see, with uh, cars becoming, well less accessible, and the day where the, well, economy car reigned supreme, let's face facts here is that, well, car companies don't give two shits about producing cars that they, they can, well, cheap people can afford. Even the uh, Maverick that was supposed to be the, the entry-level vehicle for Ford is already at least 23000 For MSRP, it's gone up almost three, four grand, and that's not saying that the, well, average dealership doesn't charge you an extra, I don't know, $40,000 to buy one. The fact is, is that there was one economy car, though, that reigned supreme for a very, very short period of time. Pretty much from 1998 to 1997, GM formed what had to be the most economy, economy car ever to be produced. One of the shittiest pieces of crap ever to hit the road. Something barely be able to be defined as an automobile, because, well, at least it had an engine. What I speak of, my friends, was the Geo. Yep, the Chevy Geo was a marquee small car. And, um, well, what they claimed as SUV options as well, with a, with a Geo Tracker. So that was, well, yeah, barely qualified as a SUV by the standard definition. And while this main plate did die only, well, not even a decade after its inception, the fact is that some of their well, shit boxes did survive later on, with things like the Metro, the Prism, and the Tracker sold all the way until almost 2004, respectively. Well, so to get things down to extreme, we're just going to cover, well, Nat Geo brand, all their automobile cars, because let's face it, they didn't produce that many, because the car brand only existed up until 1997, so it lasted maybe eight years. It was founded on August 16th, 1989, and ended up being defunct in June 16th, 1997, and merged up with Chevrolet. It was headquartered in Detroit, Michigan, and it was designed to specifically compete with the import market that had been basically coming in in the late 80s, mid-80s, to dominate the market. Because let's face it, you could buy an import car relatively cheap, and save you a shit ton of gasoline. And to be honest, cars like the Nissan, and that didn't look too bad. How the LGM decided this was the response to the import market is beyond me, but that's all beyond it. So, let's say uh, manufacturing-wise. How do they produce these vehicles and that? Well, GM models were manufactured in a joint venture with three Japanese automakers, so their answer to beat imports was to import. Yeah, that, that's a logical step. Anyways, the Prism was produced by a GM-Toyota joint venture, producing a shitty pile of junk. This joint venture, Numi, Numi, 
assembly plant in Fremont, California, and the Metro and the Tracker were produced in a GM Suzuki joint venture, Cami, assembled in Ergosol, Ontario. Yeah, you know, the Geo and the Tracker, the Metro and the Tracker were probably one of the more famous Geo piles of junk. And honestly, I can see that being with Suzuki Samurai and all that. I, I can see that. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense, actually. The exceptions, the Spectrum and the Storm, were entirely manufactured by Insizu. Insuzu. I can never get that name right. In Japan. Basically, this was just an import. Just slap a Geo Metro or Geo badge on it and call it a day. The Geo Metro convertibles and the early Geo trackers were also built in Suzuki in Japan. Because let's face it, well, GM hadn't bothered trying to make convertibles for quite a while. And let's face it, they didn't really bother to put much effort into this car company in the slightest. You know the little Geo logo? Yeah, it was about the laziest thing you've ever seen. It was basically a globe with the Chevy logo in the middle. That was it. It wasn't anything special, anything spectacular. It was kind of boring, actually. Which is honestly comes to be expected. So, we're going to go down the list of these cars here, from the more famous down to the, well, less famous than that, and talk about each one and, well, let's face it, how shitty they were. So, let's start with probably the more famous one, the Geo Metro. While the Geo Metro is not seen, well, let's face it, it's seen rarely today, the fact is, is that it is one of the, well, more famous models that Geo produced, mainly probably just because of its name. Geo Metro did rhyme rather fantastically. The Geo Metro was designed to be a small economy car that was based on the Suzuki Swift, or the Cultus. It was produced from 1989 to 2001 model years. I honestly, you know, honestly, I was around that time. That was kind of where I was my formative car years, and then I don't even remember these things. I think I remember seeing actually a car poster for one of these junk piles, but... That's about it. I don't think I actually ever knew anybody that owned one of these pieces of junk. Anyways, the first generation was offered in three and five door hatchback models, as well as a four door notchback sedan. It was only sold in Canada in 1990. A convertible was also built, and but it was ended up being phased out in 1993 because GM was pretty much cutting out pretty much all convertibles from the lineup. And let's face it, why the hell do you need a convertible in an economy car? Why do you need a four-door? You look at the size of these things. I mean, the spare tire is literally in the front of the car. It looks like something you see in Russia for crying out loud. And let's face it, it is rather silly looking in a convertible. It's a tiny itty-bitty, like, looks like economy car with a weird-ass convertible roof on it that I guess if you want to have your rear passengers actually have some space for once in this tiny thing, I guess it makes sense. To be honest, it's more something you'd see. Well, convertibles maybe were just easier to get the clown car to actually get the clowns out. Anyways, it came in three distinctive trim levels, XFI, Base, or LSI. The XFI engines had less horsepower than the base ones, which doesn't make any bloody sense to me, but it achieved a damn good gas mileage of 53 miles to to get miles per ga- 53 miles per gallon and 58 miles per gallon highway. However, this came at a cost because, well, the engine was not just a dog, it was a two-legged dog hyped up on weed and probably deaf drunk. Yeah, the engine was dead. It didn't produce any horsepower. In fact, some people often claim that things struggle just to be able to get up to highway speeds. So the highway fuel economy is a bit bullshit, you ask me. All the metros at the time had a three-cylinders engine with a five-speed manual or three-speed automatic. And a lot of people do say that the five-speed manual did get good gas mileage, which kind of inspired that rumor. But um, let's just face it, I'm not sure why the hell you want to 
sporty manual in these things. The convertible is also less... Well, the convertible is also the only first-generation Metro to offer an airbag. That's right, these were cars were actually pretty damn advanced for the time. They offered airbags in the vehicle, which was a huge step forward. Most cars didn't even have that as an option. I remember my dad's 85 Fury didn't have a Firebird for crying out loud. Most cars didn't because most cars didn't require it. But this thing had everything like revolutionary seatbelts, airbags, a lot of safety features that we take for granted nowadays were actually in these tiny itty-bitty Geo Chevy cars, which is relatively surprising. The 1995 Metro was redesigned with more of a modern appearance and offered a whopping 70 horsepower, holy cow, we're booking now, with a four-cylinder engine who will revving up the roofs. Standard air, dual airbags, and optional front airlock brakes. Yep, any lack of brakes. Yep, this thing was actually pretty revolutionary. For some weird-ass reason, they decided that the cool safety features that probably would command in their more Chevy models would be attached to their cheapest model yet. Don't know why. I guess maybe because it's an economy car, you can drive a lot more. I don't know. The four door sands replaced the five door hatchback, and XFI didn't return for 1995. Only the base models were offered, the LSI models. The three cylinder majors did end up remaining on the base hatchback, yeah, but uh, they didn't last too long. I mean, get up that 70 horsepower, why not? Nothing the dog that I had barely had 50. Anyways, the three, the uh, 1998. The Metro, now branded as Chevrolet, was revamped because, well, as I said, 1997, Geo was defunct at this time and ended up merging with Chevrolet. It ended up getting a revamp and a minor restyling to remove the headlamps, and the four-cylinder engine now got a kick of 90 or 79 horsepower. They're cooking with gas now. And the 2000 model year was the last for the Metro hatchback and the three-cylinder engine as well. All 2001 models were four-door sedans and sold only to fleets because nobody would buy a shipbox like this, and only fleets would want to buy shipboxes like this. The Metro was probably one of the more boring models they ever produced, and honestly, one of the rarer cars you ever see because most of them were, well, economy cars. Most people ran these things literally into the ground, and honestly, with the build quality on these things, it really didn't take much. But nowadays, they are considered a bit more cult classics, so you probably can get them relatively good? I don't know. I had to look at the price on a Geo Metro. I imagine just for the cult classic of it, um, probably be pretty popular. Anyways, on to the next big one. From 1993 to 1997, Geo produced the Prism. This is probably one of the more recognizable cars from the 90s that uh, Geo produced, and uh, while it wasn't exactly name-recognized, it was pretty much everywhere this car was. The Prism was a compact four-door sedan that was based on the Toyota E90 and the E100 platforms of the Toyota Sprinter. It was the successor to the Chevrolet Nova. Yeah, that makes sense. The Nova usually was a dog anyways. And the five-door hatchback model was offered all the way through 1991. While the present consists... Wait a minute. Yeah. While the Prism consistently won awards from the auto industry, including Consumer Digest and that, it was outsold by the platform twin Toyota Corolla. Yes, it was pretty much the same car. This thing basically existed from 1989 to 2002. But the fact is, is that um, Toyota never really surpassed its basically its cousin. The Toyota Corolla was obviously a much better vehicle, and you didn't have the Prism name tag of Geo's strapped onto the thing. Additionally, the Prism was positioned with Chevrolet's monolap against the Chevy's own Cavalier, which was also a huge problem, because the Chevy Cavalier did look at least a little bit sportier than its Geo cousin. 
obviously, like I said, sold from 1990 to 2002, was produced in Fremont, California. The Prism came in either a base model or a more upscale LSI model. The version had an optional 1.8 liter engine and a 4-speed automatic transmission. A leather interior, which was beyond luxury for this piece of junk, was optional, optional only in the LSI model. For two years only, in the, starting in 1990, the Prism had a sporty GSI model with a red and black bag... Badging? Bagging? Bag, Badging? I don't know. I've... What did I write there? Oh, well. It was equivalent... Because honestly, who cares about a Prism? The equivalent power was equipment to the Corolla GTS, although the latter was a coupe. The GSI models were more powerful than the Prism, with... 130 horsepower, which for these tiny cars is actually quite a bit. You may scoff at that, but when your car only weighs probably 2,000 pounds, if even that, probably 1,000 pounds, 130 horsepower is going to scoot pretty dang good. The present model was not offered in Canada. Why? Because I'm pretty sure that thing would probably get bogged down and nobody's buying a half-assed economy car in Canada. Anyways, let's go on to the, well, one of the uglier years. The early Geos were something special. They were uniquely hideous, in my opinion. Starting one of these lineup models, the model lineups in 1985 to 1988, was the shittiest car ever produced, in my opinion, the Geo Spectrum. This thing was just ugly all around. It was a short-lived compact model based on the Isuzu. I can never say that name. Gemini. The Gemini was also a piece of shit. Why would they choose this car? Heaven knows. The one size up from the Metro, it was exactly... Well, let's face it, it was just ugly. There was no way around it. It sold as a regular Chevrolet model from 1985 to 1988, and in 1985 to 1986, 1980 models shared several subtle differences to their 87 to 89 counterparts. They were fully branded as Chevrolets for the first year of production in 1989. However, with the launch of the Geo Marquis in 1989, the Spectrum was rebranded as the Geo. Yep, and overall was a bigger pile of shit than ever. Although the grill stayed the same with the Chevy Bowtie emblem on it without the Geo logo, the Chevy emblem was replaced with the Geo emblem and the Geo Spectrum was sold in 1989 and was ended up replaced by the Suzuki product Geo Storm Hatchback. And honestly, I have no clue why in hell's name Chevy was so stringent to get the bow tie on this pile of junk. I get they probably wanted to sell it at their dealerships, but my god, it was hideous. However, Geo would not stay ugly forever and would try to produce something relatively sporty. In 1991, the Geo Storm was not 1991. They decided they needed to offer something a little sportier. So starting in 1990, they came out with the Geo Storm. The Geo Storm was a sports car, if you can call it that, based on the Isuzu. Why was everything with the Suzu? My God, Impulse. Available in a three-door fastback, as they like to call it, sport coupe, the two-door hatchback, and the latter style as a mini station wagon, which looked hideous. If you ever see pictures of this, you have to. It was ugly as all hell. Anyways, often referred to as the wagon back in some markets, that was probably the dumbest thing I ever did with this car. The Storm entered the Geo's lineup in 1990 and as a base model or GSI trim model. It replaced the Geo Spectrum, which... Honestly, anything was an improvement over that pile of junk, and the base model came with a 3-speed automatic or 5-speed manual. It entered Canada in 1992, and the hatchback wagon was offered only in the base trim model. 
GMI, GSIs were a bit more sportier and either had a 5-speed manual or 4-speed automatic, better handling, a rear spoiler, bucket seats, and a more powerful DOHC engine. Now, these DOHC engines, I will give credit. My uh, Saturn had a similar DOHC engine on it, and these things were pretty much indestructible. I don't remember them ever having much horsepower, but when it came to reliability, you these things pretty much ran like clockwork, and they were relatively easy to work on. I mean... Everything was just right on top of the engine there. Honestly, I bitch a lot about some of the GM cars, but I give them credit on that engine. It was a good engine. Anyways, the uh, GSI later ended up ending with a bigger replacing the, oh, sorry, ended up with a sportier in 1982, an 8.1 liter DOH engine replacing the former 1.6 liter, and had a redesigned rear spoiler. And despite strong sales, the Geostorm was discontinued in 1993. It was probably due in part to the fact that Isuzu was discontinuing their own cars and refocusing on trucks because Isuzu was dying like the dog it was. Isuzu was one of my favorite car brands, and honestly, I can't remember one Isuzu ever I've ever seen in my life that actually looked halfway decent. All of them were just ugly. They made some of their famous trucks and that, but even those were kind of ugly looking. They're kind of just boxes and that. Anyways, I don't need to rent on Isuzu. Anyways. Geostorm was the performance-oriented vehicle of the Geo Marquis, and at the end of the day, the Storm and the Geo Spectrum were produced in Japan by Isuzu, and ended up dying along with them. To be honest, it was probably Geo's last real sporty cars, and only sporty car they ever produced, before, honestly, they produced one of the ugliest cars, in my opinion, to ever grace the road. It is one of my top 10 ugliest vehicles I've ever seen in my life, especially the convertible version, which was a unique, specialty pile of, well, comedy. It literally looked like a clown's SUV. It was the ugliest pile of junk ever to grace the road, in my opinion, other than, well, maybe the Juke and a couple other cars. We're talking, my friends, about the Geo Tracker. Now, the Geo Tracker was probably the second most nameplate along with the Geo Metro, and was introduced in 1990 from 89, and was based on the Suzuki Sidekick. The Sidekick was also another pile of junk in the Suzuki Vitura. It was a low-cost 4x4 vehicle, and I thought you'd want to take this thing 4x4 in because it was incredibly unstable with its tiny wheelbase. It was introduced in a two-door with either a convertible or a fixed hardtop. And my god, if you want to see a weird-looking pile of junk, something you'd think you'd see in a cartoon, like a 10-year-old drove it, drew it. Look at a Suzuki Tracker convertible. It is weird as hell, is all I have to say about it. Anyways, it was also often in as upscale LSI versions, um, but this is just kind of the standard upgrades that you see in the previous models. All models between 1989 and 1990 were offered with a 5-speed manual with a 4-wheel drive, and in 1996, a 2-door hardtop was dropped in favor of the 4-door model, which, again, looked ugly, at least somewhat more redeemable than the convertible pile of junk that was uh, previously produced with it. They also offered a 95-horsepower engine, which was actually, I guess, strong for the tiny little car. And the Tracker was produced from 1999 to 1998 under the Geo Marquis and in 1999 to 2004 under Chevrolet itself. Again, why did they adopt this car is beyond me. Making it the longest-running Geo model ever produced. The Tracker was completely redesigned in the 1999 model year, and honestly, it wasn't much of an improvement. Now, overall, 
A lot of people like to rag on these cars because, well, it's pretty damn easy. Because these are some of the dumbest cars GM ever produced. It's economy cars, and then there is a point where you just become so damn cheap. When you start stuffing tiny wheels, spare wheels, in the front by the engine, when you start just cramming crap all over the place, it begins to get look cheap. Every inch of the car was just cheap, from the plastic to the seats. Everything was about as dumb, dirt cheap as you can get. However, despite this fact, there are some redeeming qualities of the car. Gas mileage was ridiculous in some of these cars i mean the metro had one that had 58 horsepower or 58 well maybe 58 horsepower but 58 miles per gallon that's pretty damn good now most modern cars can't even get that and the fact is is that while most of these cars were dogs they did offer some cool safety feature airbags and anti-lock brakes which were relatively new were offered in these cars mostly free of charge in some cases and honestly, it was pretty much revolutionary because, let's face it, nobody really gave a crap about safety in the 80s anyways. Obviously, because most cars are made out of plastic, and they still followed the 50s modern era uh, safety features of, well, seatbelts be damned. Anyways, I suppose that'll do it for my rant on the Geo brand. And honestly, like I said, they're not the worst car brand I've ever seen. I mean, a lot of people leave in the horsepower while they are dogs in an engine and they don't go very fast at all. It honestly doesn't take much to take these cars scooting along with very little horsepower. That is until you try to climb a hill or get up to speed or pass on a freeway or try to drive over 50 miles an hour or try to make a turn and try to accelerate or anything like that. But anyways, I digress. I suppose that'll do it for today's Car of the Month. Again, if you're interested in checking these out, I would strongly advise looking at a picture of a Geo Tracker. Believe me, it'll burn holes in your eye sockets. That'll do it for today's Ludicrous Car of the Month and for today's episode. If you all enjoyed my insanity, I appreciate a like or a subscribe or a comment or anything you could possibly do on any of your podcasting platforms. Believe me, it does help. Because it gives me, well, assurance that somebody is listening out there to my crazy rants and raves. Anyways, have a great day, you one and all, and good night. Or good morning, wherever you happen to be. Goodbye.